Everyone and welcome back to the Bucko Cast. This is Jason Rollison back with you. Happy to be back with you on this Sunday night, March 31st. Recording this at about 8.45 p.m. And when I first kicked the Bucko Cast back up, one of the things I said to myself was that I would not be a slave to any set format. You know, we talked in the last episode about possibly having a Monday morning show just to get you primed for the week in Pirates baseball. Happy to say I think we are going to do that. We're going to have something to announce uh, in this week's regular episode as to how we're going to structure that. Some very exciting news about that as well. Um, but I'm also going to jump on from time to time and you know, have some fun with it, right? So I thought tonight would be a good idea to hop on for a quick podcast, 10 minutes or so, and just kind of talk about the overreactions that a lot of Pirates fans and a lot of you guys have after two games, count them, two games of 2019 Pirates baseball. So I put out a call on Twitter. Um, at, again, you can follow me on Twitter at PGH asking for your top two or three overreactions from two games of Pirates baseball. And uh, I'll just uh, read a couple of them and, and talk about them, and we'll riff together. How about that? First one I'm going to focus on comes from E. Brocious. And he says, Vasquez is terrible. So he's talking about the 25-pitch outing Vasquez had today. Uh, the Pirates wanted to get him some work going into the ninth inning with a 5 nothing lead against the Reds. Obviously had to come out of the game, you probably know by now. Replaced with uh, Keona Kella, who shut the door and completed the win. Obviously not a safe situation, but again, trying to get him some work. I, I Of course, we all know, and you're right, I did call for overreactions, so this was, a, this was a perfect one. We all know Vasquez is not as bad as he looked today. I think that's something we can all agree on. But one thing I am going to watch uh, throughout this season, at least in the early goings of the season, is how many waste pitches Vasquez has to use. He has this amazing stuff. He has a great fastball, of course. Has a great, great changeup that he probably should use a little more often. And a great slider. So I'm going to just go ahead and watch how many uh, waste pitches he has to use. Because sometimes he's uh, a little bit all over, right? I think a couple times he went really in on a couple hitters today. And uh, there's no shame in giving up a long double to Joey Votto, one of the best hitters to ever do it. Um, but I didn't kind of like the way he approached Votto in that at bat. I'm probably going to write for about it next week at uh, DKPittsburghSports.com. But something to watch, but of course he's not terrible. I think we all know that. So the next one is from at Young Ho Sizen. And again, I don't know how to say Sizen. S-Z-N. Is it Sizen? Is it Sizen? Is it Sizen? Do I need to put a little more English on it? Someone let me know. He gave us three. He said Nick Birdie is going to be very good this year. Listen, we're talking about a guy who has one inning under his belt this year. I think he pitched two innings in the majors last year. Let's pump the brakes on Nick Birdie just a little bit. I'm excited about him as anyone. I think myself and Josh Taylor from 93.7 The Fan and KDKA are probably the first two members of the Nick Birdie fan club. The stuff is tantalizing, but this guy is going to have to show that he can do it. He's going to have to show that he can hold up to the rigors of perhaps some higher leverage situations, which I think he should get. I think you should get that opportunity because anytime you can throw someone with that kind of stuff in high leverage situations, I think it's a it's a great idea. But again, we're talking about a guy with all of uh, 2.1 major league innings under his belt, and that includes last year and this year. He uh, pitched 1.1 innings last year. So let's pump the brakes with him just for a little bit, but it's awfully exciting. 
Young Hoseason also says that an overreaction is that Moran will be good off the bench. Got a pinch hit today. Heard Greg Brown and John Wainer talk about how Moran is kind of level-headed and kind of approaches the pinch hitter role with the right attitude. That's all well and good, but I really don't like his splits. I don't like uh, some of his approach to the plate. Um, yeah, he, he might be a good pinch hitter. He might he might very well be. Maybe he'll be a little less exposed when he only has one or two hits per game uh, at bats per game. But I'm going to believe it when I see it. His third overreaction, Melky Cabrera will hold us over until Polanco is back. <clears throat> now, yes, Melky Cabrera did go 0 for 4 in the first game, but followed it right back up with a 2 for 4 game today and played uh, has played decent defense. Uh, really haven't heard his name called. Uh, I'll admit I listened to the game on radio in and out today as I did other stuff. So haven't heard his name called out in a bad way, so that's a good thing, right? Uh, he's think, I still think he's going to be perfectly acceptable until either Polanco or Chisenhaw gets back, whoever gets back first. Or you could concede some at-bats to Pablo Reyes. I'm definitely not going to uh, discount that possibility. Um, but as I look up his um, game logs last year, I'm looking, and he did not go into any prolonged slumps. I'm specifically going to look at, I've been talking about this with a few people, in August he played pretty much every day for the Indians and every day in the field at that. Did not go that long without a hit. Um, I'm looking at maybe maximum of three games in a row without a hit. Uh, not many streaks uh, of hitless games as well. So, and ended up with a really good slash line on that in that month, um, which was uh, 280. Excuse me, 293, 370, and 512. So look, the guy can play every day. And the bigger point I'm making is that he is not going to have a large stretch of games where he is just an an unreliable option for you at the plate or in the field. The guy knows how to hit. He's been around for a long time. So, yeah, just leave it at that. Okay, let's take a very quick break and hear from our sponsors. Be right back. Okay, we're back with you on the BuckleCast, brought to you by the Pittsburgh Fan. Please visit them either across the street from PNC or online at thepittsburghfan.com. Use promo code BUCKLECAST for 15% off your order. Moving on now, at S. Cleason uh, chimes in that the Pirates will be the worst at MLB with runners in scoring position. Yeah, I know it's frustrating when the Pirates don't cash in on a big inning, but if you look at last year overall, in 2018, the Pirates ranked 6th and actually 2nd in the National League at that, with batting average with runners in scoring position at 266. The leader, of course, was Boston with uh, 289. And just to give you an idea of the range, the worst team in the league was San Diego with 230. So it's a legitimate placing in the top 10 of baseball in terms of hitting with runners in scoring position. So... That reputation seems to be a, a pretty well earned when you look at the range of, of averages there on a, on a team level. Um, but look, the big innings, they need to cash in on more. There's, there's no question about that. This team does have an excellent pitching staff, um, but if they don't cash in on those big innings, it's a lot of pressure on that staff as well. Our next overreaction comes from at Murray underscore four, who says Richard Rodriguez will be out of the bullpen by mid-June. Listen, there there is such a thing as reliever volatility. It's a real thing, and as Neil Huntington says, and he's right in this regard, 50% of the relievers who were good last year are going to be bad this year, which is why you don't see many relievers on long-term contracts, blah, 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 blah. But it's a real thing, guys. It really is. He's not just uh, talking out of his you-know-what on this one. So the Rodriguez has two pitches. He has the four-seam fastball and a, and a slider. And they play they play up very well with each other because the four-seamer has good late movement. If that four-seamer gets flat, the other pitch is not going to play up. And that basically takes him down to a, to a one-pitch pitcher. 
The home run he gave up the other night was definitely uh, a four-seam fastball that flattened out. So that's going to be a storyline for him all season. If he has the movement, the pitches will be there. If he doesn't, maybe not. Got a couple of similar ones here, so I'm going to group them together a little bit. First one comes from uh, a great supporter of ours here at the Buckercast, Murray, at Sparazu, excuse me, S-P-A-Z-A-R-U. Figured it would be easier if I spell it. He says, Meadows looks like he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And I'll also add Billy Chapel at Baseball1727, who says, Meadows and Glasson off to a good start. And Archer split the bit to Mo. I, I don't know what that means, but let's talk about uh, Meadows and Archer. Meadows and Glass now. Neil Huntington paid a hefty prospect cost to get Chris Archer. He's wanted Chris Archer for years, which I think was a factor in how much he'd be willing to give up for him. Meadows was a top prospect for a reason, right? And, uh, you know, we all thought for years that he would take over for Andrew McCutcheon. It was going to be a smooth transition. We'll wave goodbye to a dearly departed friend and welcome in a new friend. Kind of like when you were a kid and you moved and went to a new school, right? But it didn't work out that way. You got to give up to give some, give something up to get something. Uh, I love the Rays. I honestly do. I love the way they do things. And if the Rays can get the most out of Archer, excuse me, the most out of Meadows and Glass now that the Pirates couldn't, uh, that's that's a little bit more true for Glass now than it is for Meadows. But maybe it'll wake the Pirates up into doing things a little differently in their development. So that could also be a hidden benefit. So if I was a Pirates fan, I would really want to just watch this intently, and maybe the Pirates can learn a lesson from it. At Deesh, at Deesh138, says Cole Tucker would be a better offensive shortstop today than Gonzalez. So I wrote about this recently at BucksDugout.com, and what I found was that Gonzalez hits the ball very hard, right? Good exit velocity, very good uh, hard hit rate overall, but with a launch angle, average launch angle of about, you know, three and a half degrees, he's not going to do any damage at all. So for him, he's going to have to do something he's never really done before, which is lift the ball at a very high rate. He has decent, decent fly ball rates. I think in the low 30s, I believe. And I'm not sure the exact league rate last year, but it sounds like it was right at average or right below. So if he can find a way to lift a few more balls, I think he'll be a little more successful. Um, talking about Gonzalez here. So it'll be up to Cruz and Eckstein to figure out his attack angle. And this is why it hasn't worked for him so far. I happen to think that might take a lot more time than the time they have with him in spring training. It might take a month and a half, two months of seeing him every day in games uh, to kind of figure out what to do with him in terms of adjustments. Can the Pirates have that kind of patience? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, I've been saying that if this team has any serious designs of competing, they have to go into each day with the best possible lineup they can. And if they would like to kind of forget that and just put some time and energy into Gonzalez, knowing you have Cole Tucker uh, in the wings, that's their prerogative to do so. I just I just wonder if it'll cost them games in the end. But then again, guys, we're talking about a number eight hitter. So as long as you can play good defense, uh, you're not going to miss that much against what you had last year and years before. Okay, so I wanted to uh, save some of these for last because a lot of you guys chimed in today about Trevor Williams who had a great start today. So I'm going to read a couple of you guys' overreactions about uh, Trevor Williams. At Brandon underscore J underscore Simon writes in, Trevor Williams is a Cy Young candidate. At Gone underscore Poston writes in, Trevor's FIP, fielding independent pitching, and XFIP, expected fielding independent pitching, will be better this year as he hunts more strikeouts. Dean Welsh at Buzzley, 
B-U-S-L-I, writes in, Trevor Williams won't give up a run until after the All-Star break. Book it, he says. Appreciate the enthusiasm. And I did ask for overreactions again, so you guys delivered. Trevor Williams is lying today in case anybody missed it. Six innings pitched, uh, three hits, six strikeouts versus one walk. 80 pitches, 59 of which were strikes. Excellent control from Trevor. Um, just really looked masterful. And I think what the takeaway is from this is, yes, it's one game. But if you remember how Trevor came out of the gate uh, last year, he kind of struggled with his control quite a bit. And it seemed like it took him a while to lock that in or rein that in. One walk today, uh, very good uh, number of strikes against his total pitches. And what I especially liked, I'm going to point to one sequence in particular. It was against Yasiel Puig. Uh, actually, I think it might have been the last batter he faced, actually. Uh, he had runners in first and third. Definitely a pressure-filled situation with Puig at the plate. Attacked Puig and got him out on three pitches. A called strike and two swinging strikes. The first pitch was a four-seam fastball down in the lower third of the zone. Sec- excuse me, the first pitch was a four-seam fastball, like up, up and in. Second pitch was a, a sinker ball down in the zone, right caught the edge of the bottom third. And it came right back with a rising four-seam fastball, top part of the plate, actually a little bit above the plate, above the strike zone, excuse me, and got Puig to chase. I've had so many people over the years of covering baseball tell me that with pitching, sometimes the basics are the basics. Changing eye levels, changing and mixing, matching movement and spin. Trevor did that in that at bat. He knew he had to attack Puig, couldn't necessarily play around with him with runners on first and third. You know, had already been up to uh, 77 pitches at the time he got to Puig. And he found a way to attack with a smart approach. I'm sure part of it was, you know, data on Puig. Part of it was Cervelli calling the pitches or calling the pitches in from the dugout. And, you know, I have to tell you, it all it was executed perfectly. So this is how Trevor Williams can be effective, guys. He's not going to blow anyone away. We know that. His movement isn't some crazy uh, everyday featured on at Pitching Ninja's Twitter feed kind of thing. We know that. But his craft, the craft of pitching, I think he does it better than anyone on the staff with the exception of maybe Jamison Tyone. Um, and we saw that last year. Well, last year's version was him working the edges better than most pitchers in the game. So I am in the camp that he is going to regress a little bit. Everyone would. They honestly would, guys, unless your name is... Uh, in his prime Kershaw or Scherzer or even some of the greats like Maddox or Glavin, there's going to be regression from his season last year. There's just, uh, you know, there's the probability is so high that it will happen. But that regression can definitely be minimized. I really believe that through smart sequencing like we saw today, knowing his pitches, knowing what they can do, trusting his pitches when he has to, attacking when he has to, and attacking with intent. And I think that's exactly what we saw in the at-bat with Puig today. If he could do that more often than not, you know, stranger things have happened. He could get some Cy Young votes. Well, that's the episode of the Buckercast I had planned for today. Just a quick little fun thing. Again, I don't want to get uh, logged into any kind of or locked into any kind of um, set format, and I don't want to have any rigidity. So, if there's something fun to talk about, you know, I'll jump on and have a talk. And I hope you guys will be involved as you always have been. Please feel free to find me on Twitter and, and talk to me about anything Pirates baseball. I'd love to hear from you. I'm at J Rollison, PGH, J R O L L I S O N, PGH. And please, you can still call and text our hotline, 412 540 5192, to get your voicemail played or your text read right on the air. Thanks very much. We'll talk to you later this week.